Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast, where we look at everything from the WSL to the National League and beyond. Joining us this week, she's back, uh, it's Liv Griffiths. Hello, Liv. Are you over the Wales defeat yet, or is that rubbing salt on open wounds? Chess, why did you have to do me dirty like that? Oh, honestly. You know what? As a, as a neutral, I think Wales's campaign was really good to watch. But yeah, as, as a Welsh girl... Pretty heartbreaking, but I think we rode our luck in the end with the Swiss. Um, you know, to go out the way that we did from qualifying was pretty heartbreaking. But, you know, it was a fantastic game and, and you probably have to argue that Switzerland deserved to win. Um, big shout out to VAR. I thought um, that was a really good spectator as well to sort of watch how it's, you know, when it's used properly, how it, like it can impact a game. Um but yeah, I'm over it. And I guess my bank balance will thank me because now I'm not going to fork out a few thousand pounds to fly out to Australia next year. But, you know, wish the girls well. But yeah, let's move on from it, Jess. Let's move on. Definitely, definitely. I'm still looking at the price of flights every single day, especially now that it's it's all come out where everyone's playing. Um, I if I end up in Sydney, it's my own fault. That's all I'm saying. That's all <laughs> Take I'm saying. me with you. Take me with you. <laughs> You'll come in my suitcase. But we have someone else on the pod today. We have the women's football journalist for various publications. It's Daniel Kahn. Hi, Daniel. Hello, Francesca. Very happy to have you here today. But we're going to start by looking back at the Champions League action first that took place midweek. And there's only one place that we should start, really, and that's in Lyon. When the draw was made, we asked on this very podcast, are Arsenal playing for second place? Well, they're now probably in a very good position to finish top because they pulled out an amazing win in Lyon. A win which, if I'm going to be honest, I, I didn't see coming. and I don't think many people did either. So there's many talking points from this game. The first one was that Jonas Eideval left Viv Miedemar out of the starting eleven and started Frieda Manham instead. She repaid Idaval by getting on the score sheet along with Steph Catley as they raced into a 2-0 lead. Leon pulled one back through Melvin Mallard. However, Beth Mead restored the two-goal advantage with a powerful free kick. Quick-fire second-half goals from Ford and Mead completed a brilliant win. Now, to go to Leon and not just win, but also score five goals is a really kind of sit-up-and-take-notice moment, isn't it? Daniel, what did you think of the game? I, I was as shocked as you. Um, I remember because I went to the Reading versus Arsenal game, which was obviously the game before they flew out to Lyon. Um, and, you know, the feeling amongst the sort of Arsenal journalists was, you know, see how we do out there. Um, a draw, you know, a draw was initially seen as like a good result. And yeah, it was just, it was lovely to see the fact that the goals are flying in. And I think it just shows like, you know, how well the WSL is doing in terms of in comparisons to other leagues now. Um, and in terms of Arsenal in general, this season, you know, they've started so, so well. And I think, you know, the squad that they've got, the fact that they could leave out Miedemar and it not make a massive difference, um, I think has a real credit to the recruitment that goes on um, at Arsenal currently. And yeah, it was just an absolute insane game to watch. Um, and there was just so many star performers. You can't, you can't really choose one I think the whole team as a whole were just absolutely absolutely immense and I think what they've shown as well is that they can fresh teams you know they freshed Leon, who are obviously eight times Champions League winners um, which is basically like that should be a Champions League title in itself to beat them 5-1 and that is actually insane but they've also shown they can also do the dirty work as well um, in terms of 
just, you know, nicking a one nil and just holding on as they did against Reading. Um, and I think that shows, you know, real sort of winning mentality. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they do in the next game. But the early signs are quite ominous for the rest of their group. To go on from you saying about how it's kind of Arsenal's way of showing that the WSL's um, kind of coming up a little bit and changing and changing the way that we kind of look at how English teams deal with Europe. The former New Zealand captain, Rebecca Smith, said afterwards that this is yet another one where we're seeing the whole balance of the women's game shifting. Liv, do you feel that this season is going to be the one that WSL um, teams really stamp their mark on Europe? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think obviously um, the Euros has been has been a real boost to women's football because we're, you know, we're a few weeks into the season already now and we're still getting... You know, we're still getting information of record attendances, um, kind of similar to Daniel, probably past him, actually. I was at the Reading game and again, like Arsenal's fan base, um, you know, to come to come. I know Reading's not that far, but it was pretty abysmal, the weather. Um, and it's obviously a late kickoff, but it just shows that the interest is there from, you know, supporters and new fans, etc., and I really think that kind of, you know, as a player that that gives you that boost to want to, you know, almost put on a show you know like that that's that's what it is with football it's, it's entertainment for us but it you know it's their livelihood and now that these players can kind of you know luckily some of them they don't need second jobs anymore you know they can just focus their attention on being professional footballers finally and yeah kind of similar to what Daniel said you know Reading, Reading, for instance, haven't had the best start to the season, but they still, Arsenal had to work really hard to grind down that win. And yeah, to then shift that sort of change in momentum to go out, you know, and beat Leon in their their home turf and the manner that they did, you know, it was a thrashing. Yeah, it, it definitely shows that, you know, obviously there's a, there's a lot of talk with the French League and, you know, the German League, Spanish League. But Arsenal, are, you know, they're, they're leave, leading the way now to sort of return into, you know, who they were 10, 15 years ago when they, they were winning everything. So, yeah, it's really exciting. And as a neutral, it's um, it's a fascinating watch, isn't it? The women's game at the moment. In the other games in that group, Juventus won 2-0 in Switzerland against Zurich, thanks to second half goals from Valentina Kionoa and Barbara Bonasara. Also on Wednesday night in Group D, Bayern Munich came from behind to win 2-1 at home to Rosengard, thanks to goals from Caroline Simon and Lena Dahlman, scored after Loretta Kuschelli put the Swedes ahead. The other game in Group D saw Barcelona beat Benfica 9-0. 9-0! Despite not having Ballon d'Or winner Alexa Puteas and Jenny Hermosa, they still had no problem seeing off the Portuguese champions as the goals were spread around seven different players. But over to the other... Um, WSL team in the Champions League. Thursday night saw Chelsea also travel to France and with a Millie Bright goal in the first half, that was enough to win against Paris Saint-Germain. It's another good win for a WSL side against a strong team in Europe, wasn't it, Daniel? Yeah, it was another, you know, it wasn't as emphatic as Arsenal's result, but, you know, the performance and the accomplished nature of it um, was, you know, a real credit to Chelsea, who obviously had a few problems going into the game. Um, obviously, Frank Kirby didn't, you know, didn't make the trip um, due to an injury. Obviously, we know what's happened with Emma Hayes and the hysterectomy and the sort of reshuffle that's gone on there. So, you know, the fact that they could go to, you know, PSG, who, you know, had all these talents, you know, like Lika Martins. I remember when I spoke when I spoke to um, 
Magda Eriksson in the press conference, you know, there were so many dangers that she identified in terms of the PSG players and who could cause, you know, damage to the Chelsea backline. But the way that Chelsea just nullified them throughout the whole um, contest, it was a real credit to the way um, Paul and Denise set up the team. And yeah, now obviously they got Vlasnia next. So that should be um, a routine. Well, it should be. You never know in women's football, but it should be a routine victory. Um, and that would obviously put them on a good path to, you know, not just qualifying from the group, but also perhaps top in their group. Um, and compared to last season when they didn't even make out of their group, that's a massive, you know, that's massive progression right there. Yeah, it wasn't a beautiful win um, against PSG, but I guess it kind of tells of the character of the players that they're able to grind out those those sorts of 1-0 victories where they just have games that they need that they just need to win, especially in these group stages. So I think it's very impressive that they were able to travel um, and kind of complete that victory there. But over to something a bit more domestic. It was not a good week to be a home team in the WSL as only one out of the six games that went on this windy and wet weekend managed to come away with the win. Records were broken as Arsenal carry on their winning streak to 12 games on the trot, but we'll come to that in a bit. First of all, let's look back to Saturday to review how Manchester City fared in their trip to Brisbane Road. Tottenham have proved tricky for City in the past. An iconic scene from last season's WSL was Rosella Ryan's hand of God that secured Tottenham a victory against the waning City side after their injury-stricken start to the season last year. Now, City again have not had the best start to the WSL season, but this fixture this time did not provide any heartache for them. Bunny Shaw has left the shadow of Ellen White and is establishing herself as a top-level WSL striker, breaking Tottenham down and scoring in the 41st and 47th minute, with Hemp making it three in the 76th. Tottenham continue with their goal-scoring woes as they didn't register a single shot on target during the game, and a forward of theirs, Ellie Brazil, had to be stretched off at the end of the fixture. City really seems to be getting into their groove. Do you think, Liv, that this is the new look side that Gareth Taylor was kind of looking to create? Uh, well, it's an interesting it's an interesting one because he's kind of had to create it. Obviously, we saw so many players leave in in this in uh, the summer. You know, Lucy Bronze and Kira Walsh, who were definitely influential players for that City side. So I could kind of understand why they didn't have the best start to the season. And, you know, as you reiterated, Ellen White retiring and stuff. But I watched this game and, you know, City are just very clinical. And, you know, it, it, they never really had to shift out of their second gear with Spurs, um, who I just don't think are finding their feet at the moment. They kind of recruited well in the summer, but sometimes it kind of just proves that just because you bring in names doesn't mean that it will make a team straight away. So I think they're in a bit of a transition period. But City, you know, as you said, like Bunny Shaw is... Um, sort of leading the way she's she's a player who I mean you know I play Sunday league so I can't really compare but she's a sort of player that you would not want to come up against um she's just very like versatile and she's very strong and you know also you look you look at that city bench and it's still the quality they have you, you know to make those changes um I, and I do back them actually to catch the likes of Arsenal and Chelsea and Man United but yeah, I th- I think this is this is them now. They've they've got more to show. Like I said, I don't think they had to get out of many gears, but once they start accelerating, I think they'll be really unstoppable. Daniel, what do you think 
Rian's going to need to do to get Tottenham scoring? Do you think they were just outclassed in this fixture? Yeah, it was. Um, I was there and like just watching it. Um, they just didn't have possession of the ball. They weren't keeping the ball very well. Man City were just, you know, pressing and winning the ball back too easily. Um, so I think it's, you know, Tottenham have had a decent start to the season, but I think it was just one step too far against, you know, they had that, you know, bad beating against Arsenal. It felt quite similar in that sense. It was just very one-sided. Um, and I think, you know, what Rianne Skinner needs to do in the long term is, you know, just build a team. It will take time. You know, she said post-match, you know, it will take time for them to, you know, make those games really, really tight and actually maybe nick more results in, in those sort of big ga- big games. But, you know, I think, I think in general, I don't think their depth, you know, if you take like an Ash Neville out of the team, if she says get injured, you know, Drew Spence, if she gets injured, the depth on the bench isn't a quality where, you know, they're going to pose teams real threats. Um, for example, Jessica Naz came on for Eddie Brazil um, after that early injury and she just didn't really get into the game. Um, she didn't really have a lot of involvement. So I think for Tottenham, it's it's playing the long game and just making sure that in the next few transfer windows, they just recruit, you know, good quality depth so they can, you know, have a situation like a Man City where they have, you know, some real experience and quality players on the bench. I mean, if you like um, Liv said, um, the likes of Demi Stokes, Steph, Steph Horton didn't even get on the pitch. Um, and that depth is just ridiculous because they should, those two players will be starting in most teams. So Tottenham just, you know, Tottenham are in a period where they're just trying to make themselves consistent within the WSL. And I think there'll be a, you know, there'll be a time in the future where they look to um, then take that consistency and actually challenge the top teams in terms of finishing in those higher places in the table. Um, Rianne Skinner said midweek, actually, when I went to a press conference that, you know, the future aim is to, you know, get Tottenham into the Champions League because that's, you know, that's what a club with the, you know, size and magnitude of Tottenham Hotspur should be achieving. But she wasn't under any illusion that, you know, that's going to take a good you know number of years to you know build that structure and foundation um so you know i think she'll just learn from these games i think that's all you can do as a team against the man city arsenal chelsea is just learn you know what what can be adapted next time they play a bigger team um and obviously it's a learning process that they're going to they're going to have to take beatings like this to get better in the long run it was a quiet one at Villa as Everton ground out a 1-0 victory over the home side. All that separated the two sides was a goal by their captain, Lucy Graham, in the 57th minute. Everton now have three wins this season, which is impressive considering they only managed five in the entire 2021-2022 season. Now, after the chaos that was last season for Everton, I'm sure they'll be happy that they were able to see out fixtures like this one and get the victory. It's actually the first time they've secured two consecutive away wins since March 2021. Do you think the mild stability that Everton now have has benefited them? Liv, what do you think? Honestly, if you had told me before the season started that Everton would, you know, win win three games, I, I probably wouldn't believe you, to be honest. I thought they would be struggling. I thought they would be, 
you know, around around the bottom, to be honest. They kind of had a very topsy-turvy season, as you alluded to, um, just with the change of, like, coaches and there just didn't seem to be any structure. But fair play, like, they proved me wrong. Um, they just, they're going about it very quietly as well. And, you know, it is sort of like, it's nice to see. Um, I'm kind of going to blame the uh, sort of player and, manager of the month for Carla Ward and Rachel Daly. Cause ever since then, it's just, you know, Aston Villa's good start to the season hasn't, hasn't quite come off for them, but um, yeah, no fair, fair play to Everton. I think, I think they're really playing like a team now and maybe now that they've sort of got that sort of consistency with the, with the new coach and they have like a better structure, you know, they, I'm not saying that they're going to necessarily finish top, top five, top six or anything like that, but yeah, no, things are looking good for the toppies, for sure. Villa were just not on target like they need to be to pick up points against these mid-table teams. Do you think it's shooting practice that they need or just a bit of a bit more maturity up front, Daniel? A, bit, a mix, really. Um, I think we've seen with Villa, they can compete with the best teams in the league, you know, Man City, already in the season. But I, I sort of mentioned it to one of my friends, is that, you know, Without, if Rachel Daly doesn't score, they don't really, you know, have anyone else to fall back on. Obviously, they've got the likes of Alicia Lehman, um, Kersey Hansen. You know, they've, they've got some really good players to call upon. But I just feel like there's so much importance on Rachel Daly having to score or assist that, you know, if she has an off game, because everyone's going to have off games that or just games where they're a bit more quieter than normal, then where the goal's going to come from on a consistent basis. I think that's, that's their, you know, Carla Ward's main problem at the moment. But yeah, the shoot, you know, the shooting is is a big issue at the moment. It just needs to be a bit more accurate um, in, you know, trying to get more shots on target and threaten opposition goalies a bit more on a consistent basis as shown in this Everton loss. Over to the fixtures on Sunday, Arsenal beat Liverpool 2-0 away at Prenton Park. Volti put the Gunners ahead on the 15th minute with a pinpoint accurate strike in the second phase of a corner. It was her first Arsenal goal in a thousand days. Frieda Manham then convincingly put a ball past keeper Rachel Laws just seven minutes later. At this point, I was watching the game. I thought this could easily turn into a massacre for this Liverpool side. But credit where credit's due, they battened down the hatches and prevented Arsenal from getting on the score sheet again, missing out on a few opportunities themselves. Now, Liverpool are yet to score from open play this WSL season. Do you think it's composure that they're lacking or is it something else? Uh, yeah, no, I, I would probably agree agree to that. Obviously, they had a good start to the season with... Um, I don't think anyone would have backed them to have beaten Chelsea. But again, those were penalties. Um, they just... The thing is, we talk so much about the gap between the Championship and the Women's Super League. And yes, Liverpool, obviously, for the stature that they are, they, they beat, they've been in this division. I think they won it before. But I still think there's, you know, the sort of the gulf and the gap that, you know, they're going to come up against top, top teams like Arsenal, who are not going to give them space to breathe. They're not going to give them, you know, shots and opportunities as such. Um, they were a bit unlucky, like you said. I think there was one incident where, again, I mean, it could have been a penalty for um, a very strange handball, but there wasn't much that the defender could do. But it, it is concerning. And, you know, but Matt Beard, he's he's an incredible coach and he just needs to sort of get these players gelling together and the goals will soon follow suit. 
can I just add as well? They've they've been quite unlucky with um, the injury situations as well. Obviously, Missy Bokerns got injured in the um, Everton loss, and you know Van der Sanden's not not being around. So I think you got to, you can't really judge them, judge them fully yet. You've got to wait until I think they do have their you know more potent attackers available um, regularly. But you know, as you said, um, Liv, it's you know it's it's about the gelling time and. Um, every team that comes up from the championship will be inconsistent in the first season. That, that's been shown on many years. So, yeah, I think we've just got to... It's a bit of a waiting game with Liverpool. I think you can't fully judge them just yet. By winning this fixture, Arsenal have won the past 12 games, which is a WSL record. However, you can call me a bit cynical, but none of those wins have come against any of the rest of the top four, which is Chelsea, Manchester City or Manchester United. Is this really an impressive feat that it's being made out to be? Or do you think it's just a lucky string of fixtures? I, d- I don't think you can sort of label that against them, that they've not played some of the best teams. Like, yes, on paper, they haven't, you know, they haven't played a Chelsea and Man City yet. But you've, as the football saying goes, you've just got to be what's in front of you. And they've done that convincingly without fail. Obviously, the Reading game, they're a bit fortuitous to probably get the full three points. I mean, Zinsberger, save, you know, made some great saves. And if Reading were a bit more clinical, they may have, they may have got a point. But... You know, I think, you know, we've already spoken about Champions League, but they've shown they can absolutely dominate, a, you know, a team like Leon. So what, you know, who who's to say that they can't do the same thing to a Chelsea Man City? It's going to be an interesting, you know, it's going to be an interesting one to see how it how it unfolds once they actually play um, their title rivals this season. Liv, what do you think? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with Daniel. I, re- I really like that saying that you've got to play what's in front of you. And um, the thing with football is you've got to remember that there's other teams competing as well. You know, Arsenal won, won this fixture uh, against Liverpool. Chelsea didn't a few weeks ago. So, yeah, it's, it's it's very much like as a player, maybe as a coach, you know, as a team, you've just you've just got to get on with it and you've got to grind out these results. And um you know, it's just building as well towards their confidence. So when they do play Chelsea, Manchester City, etc., I back I back them to win. To be honest, I think they're pretty unstoppable. So, yeah, like like Daniel said, you you got to play what's in front of you because some of these teams will catch you out, and there will probably be some twists and turns in this season. And you know, like I think last season, for instance, Arsenal's season was ultimately defined by that loss to Birmingham. Um, which was a bit controversial with the kickoff times and but anyway, I'm sure they're over it now. But yeah, no, I I wouldn't I wouldn't really say that it's sort of we shouldn't discredit. You know, twelve wins is twelve wins. Ultimately, no one's gone one better. So yeah, just kind of throwing it back to the point that you made there about um about Arsenal and their run of fixtures. I actually don't agree with you at all. I think they've had an incredibly easy set of games coming along and if they would have been facing teams like they would have been facing teams like Chelsea if they would have included beating Manchester City within that then that would be impressive but we talk about the WSL all the time about how the top three teams are the top three teams they've consistently been the top three teams for the past I think it's four maybe five seasons they've won they've won practically everything in the past five or six years and if they are so many leagues above everyone else in the league which we constantly talk about they are because we say about how that's an issue then if Arsenal Arsenal should be beating every single team under them then that isn't part of that top three as I mentioned before they didn't even play Manchester United they only played Tottenham once during these these set of fixtures I think we'd be talking if they didn't beat these teams it would be a massive issue 
like the Birmingham game last last season, which kind of cost them the title. So why are we kind of praising them for beating teams that they should be beating week in, week, in, week out? Mm, I, the thing is, it's like, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I get what, I get your point that we would be criticising them, but at the end of the day, they're, they're still showing up and they're still, you know, I know we say that, they shouldn't be grinding out wins against Redden and stuff like that. But it's it's tough conditions and you just never know what kind of side's going to turn up. So as Daniel kind of said, like you can only beat what is in front of you. Yes, okay, the fixtures have been kind to them, but other teams are benefiting as well. I mean, uh, ha- have Man United played anyone big at the moment? Can you tell me that? No, not in this this season. I was actually gonna uh, I mentioned this uh, <laughs> later on, but this but this isn't just from this season, this is from last season too. So it's it's carrying on from the end of last season. Manchester United's next three WSL fixtures are Everton, Chelsea and Arsenal. So those are going to be the real tests for, for that side. But if with a team like Ar- Arsenal, they should, I just think they should be beating these teams and we shouldn't be praising them for beating these teams. I think Arsenal have a real kind of tendency to, they have days like when they played against Lyon where they are absolutely fantastic and they give it everything. And they have days where they come out onto the pitch and it's like the energy isn't there. It's like the the drive or the one isn't there and they can't make that flow. But when you're at a top team like that, you shouldn't, that, that shouldn't happen. You should have this, consist, this consistency. And yes, they're having the consistency of being able to grind out the wins ev- even with that. But they have days where that, that doesn't that doesn't happen. We, we're going to go on in the podcast to talk about um, Chelsea and their, so they played the team they played against PSG and the side that they played against Brighton was massively rotated and they still had the kind of fight to go out and 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 grind out a win against that team and actually look like they deserved the win throughout the fixture. And I think Arsenal kind of lacks that sometimes. And I'm definitely going to get hate on Twitter for that, but come at me. <laughs> <laughs> I take, that's fair. I do take on your point like completely. Like, yeah, they've had a favourable, you know, fixture, like fixture list, but like... What, what can they do? Like, you know, they have to just beat who's in front of them. And, you know, you say about, oh, they, you know, beat Tottenham 4-0 and that's not, you know, it, I don't think he said this, but he sort of implied, well, it's not as impressive. But Man City only just beat Tottenham 3-0. So they went one better than Man City. I think that's quite a, you know, that's that's a big point to make. And, and yeah, like, I know you said that about the Reading game, like they didn't sort of look as free-flowing and as, you know, like they like their best but I think the fact that you can grind out a win when you know like Liv said in difficult difficult conditions and also you know it, it was just one of those games where nothing was really clicking yeah like they they did miss quite a few chances as well as you know in the first half before Reading sort of went for it a bit in the second half but it's the fact that they could you know with the injuries as well look at you know Leah Williamson out Raffaele out and you know they've Lottie Wubin Moy and Steph Catley they stepped in so well and they've you know they've they've shown that they've got that sort of depth required to actually be up there and challenging come the end of the season. Like, yeah, there's so many more challenges to come. Man United mid-November, you know, you've got Chelsea in January, um, but, and you've got, you know, you've got Man City um, in April and, you know, they've got challenges throughout the season. And I guess the question is, can they keep injury free enough? Because I think if they get more injuries, you know, that might sort of derail them a bit but they they can show that they can deal without their best two centre-backs I think that's just that's a very you know prominent and ominous sign for the rest of the league in my opinion but also can I can I just add Chess when you're a team like Arsenal 
you know, you're sitting top of the league. That is pressure. Like you are under pressure, like you're under the microscope. Like you've got to get even the simple, simple wins, you know, and and that's what it is, you know, with the likes of the mid-team, mid-team tables. But you've got to win those. And Arsenal play with that pressure. They play in Europe, you know, they're sort of, these top team, like these top players, you know, like Meadmar Mead had a great, a great um, Euros run, and you know it's just adding pressure. And you know teams like Man United, Chelsea, everyone, they can kind of go at Arsenal. Like they've got nothing to lose, in my opinion. Like all the pressure is on Arsenal. So for me, it is still impressive that they are able to win win these games and and, and I kind of back them when they do come up against Man City, when they do come up against Chelsea, that they will take all of this confidence and be like, yeah, we are the team that everyone wants to beat, so come at us. To have one last angle, uh, like looking at this, um, I was just thinking whilst, whilst you were mentioning injuries there, maybe not anger's the wrong word but like maybe our faith is in in the players too like too much and that we're giving them too much praise for being able to deal with with things um throughout these injuries when actually what should have probably happened over the summer is they should have widely recruited more and that's not the player's fault that's the manager they recruited in so it's Lena Hertig and they have their new goalkeeper but they lost a large amount of their kind of their their rotating squad throughout the summer should there have been more recruitment like we saw at Chelsea for example I mean Manchester United I think brought in nine players they're not at the level the um of the players that were brought in by Chelsea but still you have you're starting to get squad depth in 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 more teams that are strong squad depth why aren't we seeing that at Arsenal why are we worried so much about about the injuries that they're potentially going to face because you know that they're going to crumble they're going to have real issues if they lose another centre-back if god forbid because obviously we don't want that but like Jem Beatty or lots of other more, um, sustains like a long-term injury. They're really going to struggle. And this is exactly where they fell down last season too. So do you think it's that they're making the same mistake again by not recruiting? And that's on Jonas Eideval. That's it. I mean, that's a good question, but recruitment always isn't always the answer. Like it doesn't just mean like if you sign nine or 10 players that, you know, you're going to be a lot better. Like some, you know, it takes time for a big group of players to gel together. So I think they were actually quite smart by just, you know, not not going out and signing, you know, the nine or 10 players that you mentioned, you know, Man United or another team signed the summer. I think they just, I think they've sort of trust what they've got. And yeah, like injuries can der- derail them. And, you know, that will be like a bit of a regret that maybe we didn't get one more centre back in. But could they have predicted that Leah Williamson and Raffaele would be out at the same time? I think, I think that was a bit, that was very unlucky. Um, and I think the recruitment that they did they did do in the end, you know, Lena Hertig and the others, I think they're very, very good players. And they do add not just depth, but more quality. And that's why they are, you know, flying high at the moment. But I don't think recruitment and just high numbers is always the answer to solving. Yeah, OK, it gives you depth. But at the end of the day, like players who come in obviously want to get game time. And if Idavel can't guarantee, you know, all like all his recruits that there's going to be you know, uh, X amount of game time for them. And, you know, the top quality players are not want to just not just going to want to sit on the bench, are they? So it's a it's a bit of a balancing act. But, you know, I think I think Ida Val's doing a great job at the moment. And I, I can't really fault the recruitment so far, in my opinion. Manchester United remain top of the table as they edge past Leicester City 1-0. Nikita Paris's goal in the 33rd minute was all that separated the two sides. 
Leicester nearly found an opportunity to sneak back one in the second half, but Mary Earps remained on form and tipped the ball out of the net. If United are going to be a team that really competes, they're going to need to be able to close out these sorts of games. They struggled with doing that last season. Liv, do you think that this has shown that they have improved on it? Yeah, absolutely. I've always felt like Manchester United was, you know, they've they've got the players and they've got the facilities, they've got the backing, but they just... They were just lacking that belief and that confidence. And yeah, I mean, you see the likes of Nikita Paris, who's a very experienced WSL player, coming in and getting that goal. You've got Ips in, in, in goal, you know, like a European champion. So sometimes it's, it's not always pretty, is it? You know, and when you look at this game, you probably would have thought, oh, well, they'll probably win 2 3 4 0. But you know, I feel for Leicester, I, apart from their thrashing against Man City, they, they have just been edged out. Um, and I think kind of, you know, what Daniel and I alluded to about these championship teams coming up to the WSL. I mean, obviously, I know they had their first season last season, but they struggled. So, yeah, I, I just think Man United, these are the kind of games that last season they probably would have lost. But um, I think Skinner's got them playing with that belief now and um, the players are really sort of reaping up the rewards. You say about the um players from the champ like the teams from the championship then coming up into the WSL, but think about Manchester United themselves who came up from the championship and then have consistently been in fourth place for the re- for the rest of the se- for every other season that they've played in the WSL and that they've existed for. Do you think it's do you think it's fair to give teams coming up from the championship kind of enough enough chance to say that they can be lower down in the table or should they be competing from the start like Manchester United did themselves? I think I think it's a bit different with the whole, you know, Leicester coming up into the WSL compared to United. I think United had a bit more of like a financial back in. Um, they sort of it wasn't like I'm not gonna say it was like a cheat code or anything. Um, it's almost like they just had that sort of structure there where they could um attract like the bigger players that would imp- you know lead to an, a massive improvement in, you know, squad depth. Um with Leicester and like other teams that come up, it's it's a bit more of a building process. It's about, you know, surviving for the first few seasons and trying to then build up your reputation from there to edge up the table. With, with United, when they obviously set up, it was more of like, a, you know, we want, you know, the future aims, we want to be one of the dominant forces in the um, English Women's Super League. So it's a bit of a different story. I think Man United have had a bit more financial backing and obviously you've seen, you know, they've had um, the structure going on behind the scene. Um, obviously, they've, they've appointed Polly Bandercroft as well um, into their football um, structure as well. So that's going to help with recruitment and just the daily running of United. But I just think with United, it's a bit more um, ambition to win in terms of what we're seeing off the field with investments. And, you know, you look at their bench yesterday, they've got like the likes of Adriana Leon on there. And, you know, those play- those type of players are going to get you goals. And obviously, Leicester haven't really got as much quality in that sense in terms of goal scorers and you know players that can single-handedly win new games so I think it's a bit unfair to judge United and Leicester's sort of rise to the WSL and how both are faring because I think the aims and ambitions are a bit different at both clubs. Over at the Chigwell Construction Stadium we saw the only home win of the weekend with West Ham seeing off resurgent second half performance from Reading. The Hammers went up in the fourth minute with a goal from captain Brian Stott here, and then they scored twice more through Asai. 
In the second half, however, Reading came back fighting, scoring through Wellings in the 75th minute and Trollersgaard slotting home a pen in the 82nd. Vivian Asai seems to be a really good fit for this West Ham side. How have you been impressed by the signing so far, Daniel? Yeah, I mean, I was there yesterday and, you know, I've been to um, not just the West Ham Reading game, but earlier this season, West Ham versus Everton. And, you know, despite her not scoring, she's always looked, you know, a bright spark in terms of the runs she makes off the ball, the energy, the hard work, like her attributes are like, you know, single-handedly just improve West Ham's attack immensely. And, you you know, you expect that, uh, you know, from a, f- a former Bayern Munich striker. They've signed a really good player and they've poached a really good player there. And, yeah, she's obviously got her first two WSL goals of the season yesterday. Very different fashion, though. Um, the first one was very, very scrappy. But you've got to have that potent instinct to, you know, finish it off, even when it's like a pinball situation in the area. So she did really, really well to latch on to um, that shot. Um, and the second one was just a really good team move. It was a very quick transition play. Um, Mel Phyllis is ball through from the midfield, just dissected the whole red in back line. Yeah, and the finish um, beyond Jacqueline Burns was immense. So they've got a real, real talent on on their hands. And, you know, when I sort of spoke to Paul Koncheski post-match, you know, he's he's obviously over the moon with the not just the goals she's scoring, but just how she's settling in and how she's, like, making her presence well-known around the club. And, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised now if she goes on a bit of a goal-scoring streak because, you know, she's going to cause a lot of havoc to opposition defences with, you know, how how fast she is, you know, the strength she's got on the ball um, and just the runs she makes in behind. She's never just standing out front doing nothing. She's always pressing or trying to help out even defensively, you know, pressing from the front and trying to turn the ball over quite quickly. And that's that's how West Ham sort of caused terror to Reading's back line. It's just Reading got so overwhelmed in that first half because of, you know, the press and just the energy that West Ham started with. And obviously, Asai was one of those main reasons for you know, the electric start they had. In the final WSL fixture of the weekend, Chelsea demonstrated the immense quality of their squad depth by beating Brighton 2-0 away in abysmal conditions with a very, very rotated squad. Beth England slotted a ball home a la Chloe Kelly in the 112th minute of the Euros final and then Harder sealed the deal in the 86th minute to make it 2-0. Despite the loss, Hope Powell... Um, manager of Brighton said I can't fault anyone's effort attitude and application I'm really pleased attitude I think is a is a big thing in a football team Um, despite their poor league form it's really important that um, Hope Powell has that kind of positive thing of her side why do you think she's happy about how things are going at Brighton (laughs) the thing is Brighton are kind of in the nicest way to them they're kind of like I kind of always saw them as kind of the bogey team. And when they play the likes of like Chelsea, you know, they have won in the past and, but but they're not expected to. So, you know, for Hope Powell to come out with the comments that she did, you know, she's a very experienced coach and all she can ask from her players is to give 110%, which, which they did given the conditions of the pitch. And, you know, again, like we said, a very rotated squad for Chelsea, but a very, very classy and a, a very experienced one. So Brighton are kind of, for me, that they're always a bit slow to the party, so to speak. And I, and I do think that, you know, the next two, three games, they they will start to sort of come to, come to life like they always do, sort of, you know, be a consistent WSL team. Do you think she's confident that she's going to be able to stay manager there, even if these losses continue? continue? I think so. Um, you know, 
I think Liv made a good point. Like they're not expected. They are like a bogey team to like a team like Chelsea, but you know, they've already, they, they've shown that after a big loss against uh, Arsenal um, on opening weekend, they can beat, you know, Reading at home. So there's no worries that I don't think there's many worries that they're going to get relegated. And obviously if they were in that sort of relegation dogfight, uh, maybe they will get drawn into it. But at the moment, I don't, I see it as like a Reading versus Leicester battle. Obviously that might change as the season progresses, but I think Brighton have got enough quality um, in their squad. And I think Hope Powell's experienced enough to manage them through rough patches. And I think I think a 2-0 loss to Chelsea is nothing to, you know, nothing to frown about. I think that's actually a very, you know, very good effort. And it's, you know, unlike Tottenham, who didn't really, I don't think they even had a shot at target against Man City. Brighton had some really good chances in, in the game. And on another day, they might have scored netted one or two. So I can understand, I can understand your question about, you know, will she will she be you know so safe and secure on the long term at Brighton but you know they've got like top, they've got the likes of Tottenham and West Ham and Liverpool in the next three games they need to get at least six points um, out of nine um, and I think you know if, if they get positive results in at least two out of three of those games then you know there's I don't think there's much to panic about um, they've, they've got a good squad um, in my opinion to be the sort of mid-table team not flirting too much with the relegation dogfight also, who would who would in the nicest way who would come in for Brighton? Because Hope Powell, you know, you only have to read her CV. She's they're very lucky to have her, in my opinion. I'm not saying that a coach is bigger than the team, but yeah, I mean, who would you get in at Brighton? I, I think she does a good job and she's consistent, you know, off the back of, you know, we take out the top four teams, but they can just establish themselves mid-table. Look at the size of Brighton. Like what what, you know, do they really have ambitions to get to the top sort of four or three teams in the league or, or would they just be happy with you know just staying in the league like Reading have done for many years like I think they would just be happy to be in the league and you know be that bogey team where they can pick up a surprise result so I agree with Liv I don't think there's actually a manager out there who would you know dramatically be better than Hope Powell I think Hope Powell's got the experience and the sort of knowledge to you know lead a team like Brighton to um, WSL safety every season. Yeah, I think maybe I'm just looking at the like the uh, Brighton men's team at the moment and thinking, well, actually, any anything is possible and you can strive and you can strive to the top level. I, I agree that um, Brighton are very, very lucky to have Hope Powell. I'm just also really aware of how, basically, I just saw how reactive um, I think the the people at the top at Everton were last season um, and with manager Willie Kirk firing him off the back of a, a string of losses but against really tough teams um, and then it kind of knocking on and the rest of the season kind of fell apart for them so I just always worry that something similar like that can happen when you have teams with string of losses like this. Yeah that's it's a, it's a good point I think you can look at what Everton have done, though. They've sort of, you look at the signings they made in the summer, they've had a lot more change and a lot more um, quality signings coming in. You know, um, Jess Park on loan from Man City. That they've had they've had a, an array of good signings and Brian haven't, you know, signed as many players. And I think that just shows the difference in terms of ambition levels between the two clubs. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think, you know, I think you make a good point. Yeah, Everton were reactive and sacked Willie Kirk, but I don't think Brighton are the same sort of club. I think they're, they they are happy just to be in the WSL and you know eventually long term they they may progress to the level where they want to be knocking on the door of you know Arsenal 
Chelsea, Man City, Tottenham, not Tottenham, sorry, but Man United. But you know, it's it's never it's never easy in the WSL, as you said. Like the last four or five years, it's been the same sort of top three, top four. So yeah, I, I think Hope Howe's doing a, as good as a job as she can at the moment. Over in the Championship. There were only five games as Birmingham versus Durham fell by the wayside due to a waterlog pitched at their stadium in Solihull. At the top, it's Bristol City who lead by three points as they beat Crystal Palace 3-0. Another goal for Shania Hales and it's her fifth in just four games. Emily Syme and Abby Harrison were also on the score sheet. Liv, Bristol have had a tough time of it over the last season or two, so good to see it all coming together for them so far this season. What are you thought of Bristol's performance? Yeah, you know, it was always it was always going to be tough for them, you know, sort of um, being relegated from the Women's Super League, uh, in my opinion, rightly so, a couple of years ago. I think I think they ran out of luck in the end. But um, the championship's more open, in my opinion, than the Women's Super League. Like, you've got teams like London City Lionesses, who, you know, a few years ago, I, I wouldn't have said would even be in the championship you know sort of establishing themselves so it's a really tough league and as as we talked about so many times only one team can sort of buy for that that golden spot so they'll be happy with the with the way that they've started things um and yes and they'll definitely be up there and should be pressing for that for that title this season on the note of the team you've just mentioned there london city lionesses are in second after a 2-0 win away at sunderland Familiar names were on the score sheet, Amy Rogers and Sarah Ewans, who has also bagged her fifth goal of the season, but this time in just three games. The defeat for Sunderland leaves them both second bottom, but just three points off sixth. Southampton's strong start to the season continued as they won 1-0 away at Sheffield United, thanks to Ella Pusse's ninth-minute goal. Charlton slipped to fourth after Karen Hills' side lost at Lewis. Ellie Hack opened the scoring just five minutes before Kira Skeels equalised before Paula Howes got the winner early in the second half. Ironically, both Hack and Howes were the two goal scorers in this fixture last season as well. Blackburn grabbed a much-needed win at home to bottom of the table Coventry United, who are yet to pick up a point. Saffron Jordan opened the scoring on four minutes. Misha Dudley-Jones equalised, but Farrah Crompton's double had Rovers 3-1 up before Anna Will. Cox pulled a goal back. Over to the National League, Wolves are topped by three points from Nottingham Forest as they won 3-1 away at Derby County. Forest beat Brighouse 3-1 and are ahead of Burnley on goal difference as the Clarets could only draw 2-2 at home to West Brom. Down at the bottom though, Loughborough Lightning have picked up their first point of the season with an impressive 2-2 draw away at FC Fylde. The Liverpool Feds' solid start to the season continued as they won 2-1 away at second bottom, Boldermere St Michael's. There was a crazy game up at Huddersfield as the home side beat Stoke 4-3 with five goals and a red card coming in the first half alone. All four of the Terriers' goals were scored by Brittany Sanderson. Rosie Acton, Callum Barber and Naomi Beddo were on the score sheet for Stoke. In the Southern Division, it's Watford that lead the way after a 4-0 win against London Bees at the Hive. They are a point ahead of Oxford United, who beat Portsmouth 2-0. Behind Oxford is a five-point gap to four teams, Portsmouth, Ipswich and new- two newly promoted teams in Billericay and Cheltenham, who are both having an impressive season and have both had 1-0 away wins. Cheltenham at Crawley Wasps and Billericay 
from a long trip down to the southwest at Plymouth. Another game saw in the south saw Gillingham win 1-0 at Bridgewater United. Now, talking of Crawley Wasps, although they're bottom of the National League South, they are under new ownership. And Daniel, I know you've been catching up with them recently. It's a rather famous face in charge, isn't it? Yes, yeah. So, um, for ex-Formula One driver and um, the original Stig, I must say, uh, from BBC Top Gear, Perry McCarthy has joined as um, co-owner and commercial director Um and yeah, I had a conversation with him this morning about, you know, why he got involved and, um, you know, what is his ambitions. And, you know, he's really keen on, you know, taking Crawley Wasps in the long term to the Women's Championship. Um, but he did recognise the challenges that will be. Um, obviously, this season hasn't gone too well for them. But, you know, I think you can't, you know, even if they do go down or whatever, wherever they do finish in the end of the season, you can't really judge them until they sort of, you know, the new sort of um, ownership structure and sort of gets into play. It, it was a really interesting conversation with Perry and he's very, very passionate about um, the women's game and the fact that he wants to make, you know, Crawley Wasps one of the, you know, reputable teams um, in the FA Women's Championships and Championship in the next um, few years. Or, I mean, he didn't really give a time frame, but you'd assume if they get it right in terms of how they sort of build the infrastructure um, in the off seasons and what they do from here um, that they will, you know, challenge, you know, the top, the top end of the um, Southern Premier Division and National League. So yeah, Crawley Wasps is certainly a story to watch out for. Um, I did ask him about um, Sunday's game against Cheltenham because I used to work for um, Cheltenham Town Ladies as their media person and, you know, seeing their sort of rise has been, you know, immense and it's a credit to, you know, what the structure there um, in Gloucestershire, you know, Tom Davies as manager is doing a very, very good job to, you know, keep on improving the squad he's got um, with more experienced names. And, um, but yeah, um, I asked him about the game and he said he wasn't at the game, but um, someone he spoke to said that um, there were a few decisions that went against, um Crawley, which he really wasn't happy with. Um, I think they scored a goal, which was ruled out, which apparently should not have been ruled out. Um, and there were other few. There were a few others where he thought the referee didn't really have. Well, he he got told that the referee had a bit of a howler. So, yeah, <laughs> it was an interesting conversation. But yeah, keep an eye out for Crawley Wasps in the in the future. I'd say. And away from the National League and onto something a bit more worldwide. Finally, the World Cup draw has been made and England have been drawn in Group D alongside Denmark, China and a playoff winner. It's a draw which Serena Wiegmann called exciting. Group A is interesting as it contains Norway, Switzerland and New Zealand. And Group E, wow, is the USA, the Netherlands, Vietnam and a playoff winner. Group F with France and Brazil in it is not going to be sniffed at either. We mentioned it at the start, but it's only a year away. So the excitement's really starting to build, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, as we as we talked about at the start, I mean, check just checking flights. Um, I just feel like there's a real buzz now to want to go out and support the teams and make those trips. And yeah, even though it's a while away, like for me, I, I actually just totally forgot that it's the Men's World Cup because it's just there's such a shift in focus now for the women's game um so yeah it's, i think there's going it's going to be a really exciting one and you know i don't i don't want to be blamed for if if they don't do well but i think england will have a really good tournament i i back i back that sort of prediction as well i think england will have um, a very good tournament um and i think despite the group looking nice on paper like you know 
I remember Serena Vigman saying, you know, you, in the past you can't you can't underestimate China. Don't don't you know don't underestimate them. At, you know, or because they 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 are a bit unexpected. Um, and you know they've shown that they can get results in like the Asia Cup, and it's not going to be an easy group. Um, even Denmark are building a building some momentum. Um, but yeah, it's it's a hard one to predict. I don't think you can predict a winner. I think there's just so many good teams, and it just depends on. Um, you know, the route to the final, really, like if England get, you know, fortuitous in that. But by the sounds of it, you know, if they do top the group, they have some real tough, you know, forecasted um, knockout games, quarterfinal potential, you know, who they could get. It is it is going to be a mesmerising tournament. And like Liv said, yeah, I sort of forgot about the Men's World Cup as well, literally just around the corner. But I think that's just a real credit to just how the women's game has sort of um, shot up and sort of just, you know, made itself more well-known and um, has engaged more interest from um, viewers who weren't actually too aware of what was going on within the women's game before the Euros. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be really, really exciting. And just like you both, I'm definitely checking out <laughs> the flights. And, I mean, as an, as an England fan, it's good that they're only playing in Australia. It makes it a bit easier. <laughs> Chess is only going to be impressed with England when they start beating the top teams like Arsenal. Ask, uh, the Arsenal <laughs> debate all over again. Stop, stop it. No, no, don't, don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. I think we've been doing all right. I remember seeing an ath- talking about that sort of thing, about never b- quite being impressed with the top team. I think I saw a, it was an article in The Athletic, I want to say, um, and it was someone saying that they should have played with a different number nine during the during the Euros. And I was like, they won. England won. England, they won the tournament. Come on. Don't, don't. I was like, don't keep... Um, don't criticise them. They literally won the tournament. But anyway, we're going to be back next week to review the action and bring you the latest news from the women's game. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at TWFP1 and on Instagram at the Women's Football Podcast. Liv, where can people find you on social media? Oh, that's a good question. I haven't been on there for so long. Um, at Living Loca 4, I think. Random. Awesome. <laughs> and Daniel, how about you? Where can people find you? Um, yeah, similar Twitter um, at DK Match Reports, but also um, we've just set up as a company our own women's football page on Twitter, um, Reach Women's Football, which is at our women's football. So definitely give that a follow because we're definitely building some real good coverage and you know trying to build a real good brand now um, for the women's game within Reach. You know, for the Mirror, like there's loads of different sites that we're writing for. So yeah, definitely give that a follow, and hopefully we can provide the adequate adequate coverage that your listeners so deserve awesome thank you very much guys and have a great week everyone